Hello and welcome to our At Any Rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast, a place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Gordon from the Emerging Market Strategy Team here at JP Morgan. I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, also from our Emerging Market Strategy Team. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, good to be here. So, a uh, deep breath to start this one. Uh, as only a week ago, it looked like we needed to be focused and concerned about a Fed which may be hiking and tipping the US slightly later into a recession as inflation and activity had been running quite hot. And now, uh, within just a week, it's really focus on uh, financial sector stress, accompanying credit contraction rather than necessarily just monetary tightening that looks like uh, a factor that it is um, taking us closer to the recession that our US economists are forecasting. That's right, Johnny. So what do you think uh, we can say with any certainty at this point? So many things are uncertain. I, I think to us, it looks like we have more confirmation that we are in this late cycle environment. And really that the path for a soft landing for the US economy uh, looks like it's getting further away or narrower. So for us, I think that means getting out the EM stress playbook again. Uh, it's not that the problems are going to repeat themselves, but they tend to rhyme uh, from period uh, to each other. It's a bit early to discuss with any real certainty how this all plays out. We tend to think uh, a lot more in terms of unknown unknowns in this kind of environment, things happening which really were not uh, even in people's peripheral vision. Um, and that's what the last week probably feels like as well. But we should start the process at least of, of trying to search in some of the obvious places in emerging markets where these risks tend to hide. Uh, and we may have to spend a bit more time later trying to flesh those out. And tell us, what does that late cycle playbook look like for EM assets? Yeah, so we spent quite a lot of time in our year ahead outlook actually looking at these kinds of patterns for EM markets. Uh, the heuristics for asset prices towards the end of a US cycle are first, EM credit spreads uh, consistently widen, and that is something that we have been expecting coming into this year. Um, for EM currencies, you tend to find that uh, EMFX eventually weakens versus the dollar. Um, and the behavior of EM rates markets becomes quite mixed between those that trade a bit more like core rates uh, and those that don't. And this is an environment that we think we are, are starting to get more towards in the way we are viewing markets. So drilling a bit more down on EM rates and FX markets, which to be fair, in the last week, have felt a bit more like innocent bystanders trying to avoid the crossfire of developed markets, uncertainty, and some of the financial strain. So how do you see EM local markets being affected uh, as we get through this? That's right. Uh, emerging markets, whether it's hard currency or local currency markets, they're not really the epicenter or uh, the origination of the shocks that we've seen over the past week or so. But that said, these markets still need to contend with at least three simultaneous shocks which are operating at different time frequencies. First and most immediately is the positioning washout of popular trades. And that's exactly what we've been seeing over the course of this past week. So while the most crowded trades were not in emerging markets 
uh, FX or rates or, or even in credit for that matter, they're mostly in US rates where uh, a lot of investors, especially after uh, the, Powell's congressional testimony, uh, thought that paying the short end of the US curve uh, was kind of a one-way bet. That's where we've seen most of the price action uh, take place. Um, the other crowded trades we had in currencies were long positions in uh, currencies such as the Mexican peso or the Hungarian forint. Those currencies, we've seen also a lot of volatility in them. Uh, in rates markets in EM, I think uh, one of the popular trades was again to be paying rates in places like Central and Eastern Europe. And again, we've seen a lot of volatility and unwinding of those types of uh, popular and crowded trades. So this dynamic, I think, is pretty difficult to assess in quantitative terms, but it's really unlikely to last more than you know several days. I wouldn't really expect the unwind uh, of like the short-term unwind of crowded trades to last uh, much more than that. Okay, so that will be the immediate period which we are in and maybe even getting towards the end of, uh, given the volatility in the last week already. But what happens next? So what happens next is the reverberations of the volatility that we've just seen. So that's the VAR shock that we need to contend with. And I think the VAR shock, given the level of US rates fall right now, is the highest since 2008. It's actually only been surpassed uh, in its history in, in 2008 in terms of uh, the move index for treasury option implied volatility. Um, this is going to have an impact on risk management for institutional investors, and it's going to last more than just a few days or a few weeks. We saw that, for example, after the Bundvar shock that we had in 2015, that did have an impact on the ability and capacity of investors uh, to take risk. And what it means for emerging markets is that we're likely to see the flow of portfolio uh, assets uh, from abroad going into EM be quite restricted. And that's happening at a time when you still have quite a few co uh, countries uh, with relatively large external financing needs and large current account deficits, whether it's Central Eastern Europe, Turkey, or places in Latin America like Colombia, for example. So what's the third shock then that you mentioned? So the third shock is the ongoing credit stress and the fallout from the strains that we've seen over the past week, uh, both in the US and in Europe. And that's likely to set off a more durable tightening of global financial conditions. I think that's going to be difficult uh, to escape. And emerging markets are going to have to deal with um, that tightening of financial conditions, which right now it's not clear whether it's going to be a slow motion tightening or if it's going to be more acute, but there's much more open-ended questions about that right now. So let, let's drill a bit more into that then, because typically there are two types of vulnerabilities that uh, EM has that come into focus when you see stress around financial conditions tighten. Then they both relate to different aspects of EM's need for uh, liquidity and, and capital. One is about debt repayments, which will typically impact EM credit markets a bit more. And the other one is uh, about external financing needs, which weighs on local markets, although they often interplay. So starting with the second, uh, have we seen much concern on external financing uh, or balance of payments questions? So that's where I think things differ right now. 
So I mentioned the three shocks earlier. One's a very short-term unwind-off positioning because there is uncertainty. The second is the lingering effects of a big shock to volatility, especially in the rates market. So that's the VAR shock that lasts over multiple weeks or maybe, you know, kind of a couple of months. Then you have the credit strains and the credit tightening uh, across um, global financial markets. But what's missing and the shock that I didn't mention is a balance of payments shock. You know, so we haven't seen major signs or a sense that EMs are uh, imminently going to see um, some type of, you know, sudden stop of capital event. And while the causes and uh, nature of EM crises differs, uh, for practical purposes, for most investors um, that would be listening to this podcast, typically uh, EM crises end up as balance of payments crises when you get to the end of a cycle. Now, that still remains a risk. As you'd mentioned in your opening comments, the U.S. economy is in pretty late cycle. We're going to be heading into, into a recession, and as financial conditions tighten, um, that can set off um, you know, something that looks like a more typical EM crisis. And that typically coincides also with quite bubbly asset price valuations. But right now, I do think it's important uh, to note there are two very important mitigating factors in this cycle versus uh, versus the other ones uh, that people have looked at, whether it's 2008 or some of the cycles in the 1990s. Uh, first and foremost, I think, is the lack of an overhang of positioning in EM, local markets especially. And that's something we have discussed in previous episodes of this podcast. Uh, and it's partly due to the fact that uh, if you think about a typical cycle, that uh, if you sketch out, sketch it out, it's a period where you have very loose monetary conditions and financial conditions that leads to a buildup of leverage. It leads to overvaluation and asset price bubbles and a big overhang of positioning. That's not the case right now in EM local markets. And uh, it's partly because the last time you had that, which was just before the taper tantrum, uh, the fallout of it was that you never really fully recovered in terms of positioning uh, in local markets. So you don't have that structural uh, force in play right now. Second is that question of overvaluation. You know, typically you get to an end of a cycle, bubbles burst, but it's really hard to say that as far as EM currencies are concerned, for example, that there, are, there is bubbly or very large degrees of overvaluation uh, in general. And that's basically the flip side of the US dollar's real effective exchange rate sitting at multi-decade highs right now. So on most long-term measures, one wouldn't you know, really say that we have, have kind of uh, you know, bubbles or big overvaluation uh, to, to burst uh, in EM uh, local markets. But that said, despite those two mitigating factors, I think the other shocks that I've mentioned, they you know if they combine into a U.S. recession, it could still generate a capital flow shock uh, to EM. It might not be as bad as it has been in previous cycles, but it's still something I think one needs to be quite cautious uh, and, and wary of in coming months. The other vulnerability, Johnny, as you'd mentioned in your question, is about debt repayments. We've seen a lot of focus on that over the past year, a number of countries going through restructuring as well. How does that fit in to the events of the past week? Yeah, so it, I think when we think about vulnerabilities, it's difficult to argue there were no issues for EM to deal with around debt because 
we have seen a rise in EM government debt over the last decade, really coinciding with that period when monetary policy was very loose. And I think more important than the overall number is the fact that uh, many of the smaller countries and, and more fragile are the ones that have seen the biggest increases in debt. And so as financial conditions tighten globally, the natural consequence is you get an increase in EM government debt defaults. This is likely to continue, but I, again, I probably wouldn't put it in the category of unknown unknowns. As you said, we spent much of the last year reassessing and markets repricing both default probabilities and recovery rates. So uh, as an example, triple C rated spreads in emerging markets went 1500 basis points wider last year. Markets clearly repricing that. Um, so worries about this are likely to spread a bit, but it's not like this market hasn't had the tires kicked on it to some extent. We have written many notes where we've been through the debt fundamentals of these countries. And so um, the chances for major surprises on this, I think, are probably lower, as well as countries already being uh, in the process of um, reaching for the IMF and other sources of support uh, in this market. So it will probably limit the extent of, of some of that within emerging markets, although it doesn't mean that we will escape that global environment, as you pointed out as well. So both in local markets, there's some mitigating factors in uh, hard currency, as you mentioned, we've been kicking those tires for some time. You know, one can say this is not EM's problem, um, but you know, to what extent really do you think we can, um, in, in emerging markets, es escape the weakness and the problems that we're seeing in developed markets? Yeah, so I think there are two things here, and, and I always think it's unlikely that we can fully escape. Uh, one is that, as we've seen in other crisis periods, problems from one part of the world can quickly become problems for everyone. And EM naturally is sitting with more uncertain economic and uh, sometimes political environments, and eventually we can catch up and even underperform uh, some of the stresses that occur in other places. Um, but the other is there's just a natural beta to the global markets environment when you see uh, that rise in uncertainty, economic uncertainty, credit spreads widening, equities lower, some volatility in commodities. All of these are going to likely play uh, into emerging markets as well. And whilst we may not be the epicenter, as you said, uh, we do have a beta to those global conditions. And I think in our own views, we're, we're basically taking that uh, into consideration in this environment. So that brings us to the end of this JP Morgan, at any rate, Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks to you, Saad, for joining today. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chasing Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 16th of March, 2023.